You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? And love. Oh, and love. He's got a real chance now. Peter and love. John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin. Unknown goal from Ruddock. Ball by Frank here for Kiwabia. Pannister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce scores! Goal left! Hit left! Hit left over the top! Now! Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh, Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin. Will he score? I'm Chris Gold. This is the penultimate episode of Series 3. Joining me, my co-host Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And more 90s than knocking on, it's Michael Marden. Hello. Coming up, we've got another 90s phrase uh, discussed with Tom Parry. So that's something to stay on uh, <laughs> listening. Yeah. Um, so, should we do correspondence? Yes. You've got mail. So, last week we had a discussion of um, a youth team game where uh, Paul Gascoigne turned up and yeah. refereed it. And then he took over and started playing, correct? Yeah. Now, you think that sounds a bit outlandish? Well, I described it in our episode write-up as, as a tall tale. Well, Lee Bibbering, more info on the Gaza refereeing story. Okay. Hey, guys. I was listening to your correspondence about Gaza and his refereeing of a youth club match between Kenton and Bushy. As you heard, Gaza got bored and proceeded to start playing before scoring three times. I can confirm the veracity of this, for I was Bushy's goalkeeper at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Forced to play in a full-size goal despite being eight. I wasn't quite able to keep out the rasping drives from First Division Football of the Year, Paul Gascoigne. As a further twist, my dad happened to be the orchestrator of many Gaza youth club events. He was Gazza's lawyer at the time, alongside Mel Steen, his agent. My dad managed to get Gazza to attend the Bushy Youth Club Yearly Fate, held in the glamorous surroundings of Bushy Synagogue Car Park. <laughs> <laughs> My dad told me I could meet Gazza with him before the fate, and we picked up Gazza at the Swallow Hotel somewhere in London. Me, my dad and my sister. Terrified of talking to my hero, as we were all lifelong Spurs fans, I said nothing, till I plucked up the courage to ask him the question. The question and I have no idea why I asked him this, was, when is Naeem's birthday? <laughs> Gaza's reply was, third of fuck. 
The day finished with one of the biggest stars of the time taking penalties in the synagogue car park against me and my mate. Isn't that a great story? Yeah, I, I retract my uh, apprehension about the story. Isn't that amazing? Um, wow. Doesn't the third of fuck get earlier every year? <laughs> um, now, this is a follow-up uh, to our uh, Barry Fry feature. Great going forward. Top to the back, mate. <laughs> I can't keep a good man down. So, this is from Sam Ruddick. Hi, after spending an evening on a Wikipedia wormhole, I came across the page for the 90s kids TV show, WYSIWYG. I was surprised but also delighted to see the composer listed for the theme music was a Barry Fry, complete with hyperlink, to another Wikipedia page. Not not Barry Fry's. Think it must be a coincidence. I clicked on the link to be directed to none other than the big man's Wikipedia page. No. no. So, I've looked at the other evidence on this on the internet, but they're not able to find anything. But as the show came out in 1998, when Barry was chairman manager of Peterborough United, I'd like to believe it was done in an attempt to raise cash for the club. So I've gone on the Wikipedia page, and it does list Barry Fry. The football... I know Wikipedia... I'm not saying he did it. No. But what I am saying is Wikipedia does say Barry Fry (laughs) composed the theme music. Composed not just the theme music to WYSIWYG, but what I'd like us to do is listen to the theme music to WYSIWYG (laughs) and imagine Barry Fry composing it. So just imagine Barry Fry comes back from a day, another torturous day, failing to get Peter out of the relegation zone. Goes to Um, his basement studio. Goes to his basement studio. (laughs) Right. So just imagine... A, that Barry Fry's been commissioned for this, or he's doing it on spec. <laughs> Barry Fry gets home from a day in the uh, feet of a losing, and this is how he spends his evening. Do you know what? I could see Barry Fry writing it. It's quite jaunty. Huh? If we ever get Barry Fry for a live show, this is blatantly his entrance music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it kind of nails him as a character, isn't it? A bit all over the place, a bit... Whoop, hey, whoop. <laughs> so, having heard it, I now believe it more. <laughs> Maybe, though, because he probably doesn't have the tech, he doesn't have the skills. He's got someone who's on piano. He's no. got the tune in his head. He's going, like, you know, yeah. what would be amazing? <laughs> I'm presuming Barry Fry's got no musical ability. Is if he had got the contract to do WYSIWYG, the theme tune, and he'd had to submit something, what it would have ended up being. <laughs> well, I, I'd love to hear listener interpretations of what that might have been. <laughs> And if you want to knock some up on Garage Band, yeah. Barry Fry's actual version of the WYSIWYG theme tune, <laughs> send them in. The best ones might get played out. They will. We've, to, you know, we've talked in the past that Bonivere wrote for Emma Forever Ago by locking himself in a shed for a, for a winter <laughs> yeah. and coming up with this album. Barry Fry locked in a shed in Wisconsin for a winter. What would he come up with? You know when Paul McCartney dreamt yesterday and then woke up? <laughs> Do you think Barry Fry woke up and he was like, do 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 Darling, get the dictaphone. I want a series four. 
series three is almost over to use the WYSIWYG theme tune as much as we can. And if you are listening, I think we should make it our aim to try and build this myth that Barry Fry wrote the theme tune to WYSIWYG. Yeah. 100%. So drop it into conversation. Any chance you get to do trivia, any chance to get it on social media so that it starts being linked on Google. Yeah, if our legacy on this podcast is that Barry Fry writing the theme tune to WYSIWYG appears in a legitimate news outlet, I will die a happy man. Would perish the thought the day comes that Barry Fry passes over of wanting his obituary so much. It's just saying that he wrote the theme tune to WYSIWYG. If you're in the away end at a football ground anytime oh, soon, I'll tell you what, I mean, right, Barry Fry wrote the theme tune to WYSIWYG. If you can get a chant. It's quite football as well. It's quite like... Can we write some words to the theme tune to WYSIWYG and it'd be the theme song for the England's World Cup this summer? I mean, I wonder, in this day and age, how many digital downloads do you need to get for a song to chart? Is right. WYSIWYG available? Well, if we if we wrote a, a version, or our own version of WYSIWYG, because we won't be able to clear that one, yeah. and all of our listeners downloaded it, do you think we could chart with WYSIWYG? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know. Yeah, you probably could, if right. everyone bought it. Let's do it. Could I just say, though, that would involve... We'd have to find out who owned the copyright to WYSIWYG, and I don't want to find out that it's not Barry Fry. <laughs> <laughs> um, any of those things, to make this more of a thing... Uh, or any more information on it, or if you're Barry Fry and you know about it, hello at quicklykevin.com. Great going forward, Poxy at the back, mate. They can't keep a good man down. We have one more live show that you can get tickets for this Friday, 4th of May. What are your plans? If you've got none, come down to MacFest on the Friday night. There's some excellent comedians there, Josh, I believe. Yeah. We don't, don't need to name them because you're coming to watch us. <laughs> so Friday night. To find out more information, just Google MacFest or go on our Twitter or Instagram. There's links there and you can get yourself a ticket. Right. Now, perhaps my favourite episode of the last series was... Um, Tom Parry talking about Steve Bull. We were watching, uh, I was watching football the other day, and uh, Steve Bull was the pundit, and my girlfriend went, that's bully, because she'd listened to the podcast. <laughs> so uh, we brought him back, we, we were watching a documentary called They Think It's All Rovers. We've been requested to do this by many Doncaster fans, because uh, it is basically a, a documentary that follows their last two games in the Football League in 1998, with Mr. Tom Parry. We've been saying all season that um, things could get better. We're, we're hoping for the next match to get better, or the season goes on, it's going to get better. But it's just that. Friend of the show. Yes! Happier than last time as a Wolves fan. Absolutely. But we don't talk about that, we talk about the 90s. Tom cool. Parry, hello. Hello, thanks for having me back, guys. No worries. What um, a treat. Yeah, it was it? That's the question, because we've got you here to watch documentary that we've been recommended more than any other by our listeners we put out an appeal it's they think it's all rovers uh the documentary about doncaster rovers in the 97 98 season that's correct or more specifically a documentary based entirely around their last two games yeah i mean the horse has already bolted at this point <laughs> um, so. and it's been shot <laughs> and it's been set on fire we will flogged. get into that but before we get to that Guests always bring a uh, favourite clip they've got. Last time uh, you brought the 
theme tune to the Hurricanes. I bought the theme tune to the Hurricanes. Yeah, Nothing and um, I'd like to carry on this tradition of like fictionalized '90s football. And this yeah. is kind of like the perfect example for me because this was one of the only times my dad and I have been to the cinema together, just the two of us. Oh, yeah. He suggested the trip. Oh, and yeah. it's for the film When Saturday Comes, oh, which is me. Sean Bean as a wannabe footballer. For Sheffield United. For Sheffield United, yeah. And uh, I just so, wondered, I wanted your guys' take on it because I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it. Since it. I haven't movies. seen it. Have you seen it? I was, yeah, I saw it at the cinema originally when it first came out yes. on the Isle in a in a little one-screen cinema in Lake on the Isle And it was me and my friend and we were the only two people I love that. in the entire screen. I always feel like a magic time. The concessions lady used to do this weird thing at this place. Do you remember the Cornetto advert that was a just one Cornetto? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They would play that before every single film, but on the curtain between the front of house and the cinema this woman would pop her hand through with a finger puppet like a hand puppet sorry what and would mime no. to just one cornetto but she had to do it with every film and it was just me and my friend <laughs> it's just like give her the day off guys like, is, wow the yeah. more you talk about the Isle of Wight the more it sounds like Royston Vasey yeah. <laughs> so what kind of, what was the puppet uh, it was just like a sort of like sock puppet, like a really crudely homemade sock wow. puppet. Uh, it was and what was she doing the rest of the time? So she's working on the... Re- so she worked at the front and then what would happen is... That's her living. The, the, the sock would go away. Two seconds later, the curtain would open and she would walk out holding the ice cream <laughs> as if it wasn't her that had done it. It's like, you're the only person out there. Could it do the Pearl and Dean jingle? No. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. They missed the trick. They're going to have to go some for that. <laughs> um, so, should we watch the uh, trailer for When Saturday Comes? That's what I, so I think, I mean, like, I, I watched the trailer again and, and you pretty much get the full deal of the film. So who else is in it? Who's the romantic? Pete Postlethwaite, not the romantic. Oh, yeah. Pete Postlethwaite <laughs> is the... Uh, so he, quite progressive. He's the non-league football manager who finds Sean Bean in a pub team, believes uh, in him yeah. and manages to get him a trial for Sheffield United. Right. And then I think you thought Emily Lloyd. Is Emily the, Lloyd is the, is the love interest. Yeah. yeah. So you, yeah. you're going to know exactly what goes on in this film by watching the trailer. Okay. It's peak nineties. If you could have been a footballer, you'd have been snapped up by England schoolboys two years ago. You cheeky little git. I don't need to go down no careers office to know how you'll end up. Morning, Judge. Morning, Jimmy. What time of day do you call this? What? I'm nine minutes late. Who's that bull You can forget about getting your leg over with a... Uh... You'll come out with me. Well, I don't know if my husband would be too happy about that. You married? No, no, as long as you're okay. So you'll come out with me then? Bring your cousin your next bed for father. I'd love to see you play sometime. Ken Jackson, coach for Allen Football Club. We're looking for a good right winger. Another brilliant performance there tonight, laddie. Even here tonight, huh? Ooh. Tony Curry wants to give you a trial. Jimmy, it's your trial tomorrow. You want to make it a quiet night? Good fighting. Hi, you, fight. I've seven large wishes, please. Where's that bloody hell of you been? You smell like a brewery. You're out, son. You couldn't have cocked it up better if you'd have tried. Is this what you want? Strippers and boozers, huh? Excuse me. You're sorry. You're selfish. But potential's no bloody good if you haven't got the courage to do something with it. I'm too bad, kid. I know you do that. You better not blow it. He won't blow it. Again 
Can I just say by this point, what we've witnessed is almost the whole story. Yeah. yeah. See, the trailer has taken us... He's a pub player. He works in a factory. That's he right. meets this woman. Pete Postlewaite finds him. He gets a trial for Sheffield United. He gets drunk the night before. He fails. And then they say you've got to work at it. Yeah. How far into the film is this? I'd say three quarters of the way into the film. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. This is insane. I think the only thing that you're missing that isn't featured in the trailer is there's an accident down pit and his brother dies. To really? Like, yeah, to give it a bit of emotional clout. Yeah. So, as Sheffield United, Sheffield United in this film, yeah. are they talked up as a bigger deal than they are? Well, no, what you need to know about this film is that the climactic fight where Rocky wins the world yeah. championship or whatever is a quarter-final FA Cup tie at Bramall Lane <laughs> where they knock Man United out the FA Cup. So it's not even the cup final. Is it a quarter final? I thought it was a semi. Oh, is it seven? No, because well, it wouldn't I, be at Bramall Lane. Well, this is this is a, a bugbear I've always had with the film. Is that I'm pretty sure it's a semi final, but it's played at Bramall Lane when we all know that it should be a, a neutral. A ground. neutral ground. But I haven't seen it in well since it came out, so I don't know. But I remember thinking at the time, hold on a minute, I was with you until this point, but that should be at Villa Park. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess they would have done it at Wembley, but they're like. They're not going to let us shoot this. We can't yeah. pack out the stands here. Well, they they also like in the film. Sheffield United are in the Premier League, but actually in the season that the, the kit that they're wearing, they're not like Sheffield. Sheffield United got relegated, so I imagine they wrote the film when they were still in the Premier League. Yeah, they got relegated. By that point, it's in production, and it's like, well, what what can we do? I remember being impressed that they had the right kits. Also, the Sheffield United shirt. Surely the only team featured in two films in the nineties because the Sheffield United shirt is worn by. Um, Robert Carlyle in the Full Monty, Monty. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Huge decade for Sheffield. The United most film, the most films nineties, and I think shit. that's why I've always confused Robert Carlyle and Sean Bean. Yeah, I always mix them up, <laughs> and I now and now, now I realise it's that. Yeah, in fact, until you just said that, I thought Sean Bean was in the Full Monty. <laughs> Should we watch the end? I mean, you see the winning penalty. Is that the winning penalty? That's yeah. the winning this penalty. Is, they're the final moments of the film, right? Here. This <laughs> that's is it. insane. This is it. If you did a trailer for The Usual Suspects, it ended with him walking away and changing his lips. <laughs> and that's an astonishing trailer. Yeah. Where, fo- where football films always fall down, it does it in Fever Pitch, it does it in this as well, is when they have to cut to celebrations in the street. And it's yeah. just kind of people smiling, like, <laughs> throwing confetti and shaking hands vigorously. It's like, what? When's it ever like this? The other thing that really falls down is like actors playing football. Like Sean Bean, the few times you see him kick a ball in that, it's so unnatural. Well, he's meant to be not a bad footballer, Sean Bean. But you wouldn't put him out on the right wing. No. Is it? Like, he's, he's an old-fashioned centre-forward, isn't he? You're, you're lumping it up to Bean. There's no way he's out on the wing. Like, that's where they've really fallen down. My mate worked on uh, Wayne Rooney's Street Striker. Oh. And uh, they had to film Rooney chipping it into a bin and he couldn't do it. And they had to, they had to cheat it. <laughs> How'd you cheat that? Have someone move in the bin? Just well, they just cut to a bin with a ball going. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we come on to They Think It's All Rovers, the 1998 doc- Channel 5 documentary. Yes. About Doncaster Rovers. Shall we begin with, what did we know of the Doncaster Rovers story? I, I knew they had a bit of trouble. I, I had yeah. no idea of the details. Apparently, were you Brighton were more of the... F- headline one at that time weren't they yeah I, that, I was the same I knew they'd had their struggles but I had no idea in fact I'm not sure any club has had this many struggles as what we see no. in this documentary like it's insane yeah this feels like through. the worst season the club 
has ever had ever in yeah, the history yeah, yeah. of football. Not to blow the gold, but the season ends with one of the supporters playing the last post before kickoff, <laughs> <laughs> and of all other supporters put reefs behind the goal. One of the so, problems I watched this documentary with my girlfriend. I, there wasn't enough background in the documentary for her to understand why the fans were so angry at the board. Yeah, it definitely lacks context. Yeah, I mean it's a Channel Five documentary, and it kind of shows yeah. like. When it starts, the only other club it ever compares Doncaster Rovers to is yeah. Arsenal, who are yeah. currently at the top of the Premier League and flying. And like that's how it sets out its store. Yeah, but and do you know why that is? I'm not in the hands of good documentary. <laughs> well, do you know why that is? I noticed it is because they show a clip of Arsenal scoring in the UEFA Cup or Cup Winners Cup. Yeah, and it says courtesy of Channel Five. And I think Channel 5 have got that competition. That's the only So they're, they're the only there. clip of proper football they yeah. can show. The documentary can only afford that what it's like two, it shows two clips the yeah, same goal clip. from Burkamp yeah. twice yeah. and then Burkamp missing and that's So they it. have to keep comparing them to Arsenal because yeah. they're the only people they can clear. Yeah, it's it does only... feel very shoehorned. That's yeah. all, that juxtaposition of here's a team at the top of the league, here's a team well, at the bottom of the league. And the astonishing thing is they say Doncaster. This I can't believe this has got through the net. It's a Doncaster who are bottom of the football league. They say 109 places below Arsenal. It's 92 teams in the football league. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. What you need to know is we're not in safe hands with yeah. these documentary makers. <laughs> yeah. what, you've done some research into the background. Do you want to give us the story? Well, like, yeah, I'll give us just a little bit of context to uh, to clear things up. So, shown on Channel 5 in 1998, and when the film starts, it's late in the season. In fact, there's only two games left, and the club, they're already mathematically relegated. So, at this point... They've played 44, won 4, drawn 7, lost 33, and they've conceded 116 goals <laughs> with a goal difference of minus 82. Oh, yeah. they, um, it says they lost 8-0 in one game to yeah. Forest. I researched that. That was the first leg of a game. They had to play a <laughs> no. replay and then had to get, they then yeah. had to go to the city ground. That was they lost 8-0 at home. That's still a League Cup record defeat for a first leg. Is it? Yeah. Did yeah. we know what the second leg result was? No, but they took 500 Nine fans. nil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they actually went through. It's the greatest turnaround in the, the miracle of the city ground. <laughs> um, yeah, so they've essentially, they've been rooted to the bottom of this division for mm. pretty much the whole of the season. But it's not just this season, the sort of mess that they find themselves in. It seems like it's been rumbling on for two or three years now, at least. Yeah. So basically, there's a guy who we meet a bit later in the film. But I think it's really important that we introduce him early on and sort of fill it in. Who is uh, he's the major shareholder and sort of de facto chairman, who a guy called Ken Richardson. Yeah. Who I mean, how would you guys describe him? Richardson out. Richardson out. Yeah. Richardson out. <laughs> well, I think he's... the most interesting thing he does in the course of the documentary because he doesn't actually feature, but you see a fax he sent the players with instructions. And it is lit. Is the, the scribblings of a madman? Yeah, you can't quite make out what he's saying, he but it's little. He doesn't go to the games, but he lives on Jersey or the Isle of Wight or somewhere. Yeah, and he lives on the other one. He's got a sock puppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he faxes the descriptions. Yeah. yeah, he faxes the team. Little inspiration that he faxes the manager, and also he, he picks the team having yeah. not seen the team play all season. Yeah. And he gets them to he gets them to hand the phone to them in the dressing room and yeah. tell them how to play. Yeah. It's so, amazing. So His scribbles look like... I saw a documentary on that New York artist Basquiat. Have you seen that? <laughs> <laughs> With like little drawings of the words. Yeah. That's what his tactical dry, diagrams look like. Andy Warhol's shown an exhibition of his stuff in New <laughs> yeah, York. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so basically, so in 1993, Ken Richardson has become the majority shareholder in Doncaster. And uh, despite some early investment and optimism, 
he basically he puts the ground up for sale very early on and it, it turns out and we find this out later in the film but it's important yeah. to set it up because he, he, the club and he basically don't own the land that the ground is Yeah, it's is like on. if you were renting a house out and the, the tenant put the, the yeah, house out. Yeah, tries to sell the house. So it belongs to the local council who obviously get annoyed. And I think once he realises this, that he can't asset strip the club, which yeah. it seems like he's coming to do, yeah. he retracts his financial support and then the club start to get into trouble. Now, looked into Richardson a bit and... Uh, He's got, he's got form in this area. <laughs> so before he got into football, he used to be in horses. He was a horse owner. And yeah. uh, he owned a horse called Flockton Grey. And it, it won its debut race at Leicester by what the paper said was a suspiciously long margin, <laughs> despite odds of 10 to 1. And it turns out after investigation that Flockton Grey had actually been switched with another horse yeah. before oh, the race. <laughs> A three-year-old horse called Goodhand, who was a vastly superior horse. Can you just do that? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously you can't. So he basically, the bookies refused to pay out, and then he was kicked out of the jockey club and banned from being yeah. involved in horse racing at any level. So then fast forward to 1995, he's, uh, he's bought the club. We're in this situation where he's tried to sell the ground. There's a suspicious fire at the stadium, which again, we come to in the film and we'll get to it, yeah. but it's not covered in enough detail in the film, so no. we should set it up. So basically, the fire department go to this blaze. They find amongst the damage, they find some petrol cans and more importantly, a mobile phone. The same phone, it later turns out, that left a message on Richardson's answer phone saying, Job's done. Amazing. <laughs> That's so good. So why is the person left the mobile phone? I mean, who knows? But and the, the guy that this Ken Richardson employed to, to burn down the stand was an ex-SAS soldier. No. How rubbish the SAS yeah. that you're leaving a petrol can around. supposed to be the best, mate. <laughs> so basically, uh, uh, about a year later, Richardson was arrested. Uh, he was arrested during a game, a midweek game. Police came and got him. And at the point that this film starts, he was awaiting trial on charges of conspiracy to commit arson. Do you know what blows my Jesus. mind the most about that? Hardly mentioned in the film, any yeah. of that. Well, that's it. Well, I think because it hadn't gone to trial at this point, legally, it's a very grey area. Obviously, historically, as we'll find out, he is convicted of said crime, so they're able to print it. But at this point, it's it's a minefield. So this, also, this is where we only had footage of Dennis Burkamp starting a fire <laughs> <laughs> in his home. Just a, a log burner. I love it if they'd only got footage. Like to source to Channel Five, so they kept using that photo to the Spice Girls launching Channel Five. <laughs> um, so when it started, Parry, not knowing what you're going into, what did you think was going on? Um, I I was delighted by the start because 30 seconds in is when you see Vampire Kid on the yes. on the stands, yeah. and you suddenly know you're in for something good here because so that's a child dressed as a vampire. It's a child dressed as a vampire with like a bin liner as a cape. And complaining like he's an old man yeah. about people yeah. sitting on the middle of the pitch, and you think, "Hello, was this is not a normal football documentary?" There's two great outfits early on. There's Vampire Kid, and then they interview a man, and I've never seen this before. Who's wearing a Snickers baseball Snickers cap? Baseball uh, cap. <laughs> he's got a Snickers baseball cap. Where do you source that? Well, it's it's a France '98. Oh, is it? Snickers oh, right. baseball I cap. Yeah, just, yeah. I thought it was like you know when you've got an Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> This is what it's like every match in the league now. We've been having pitch invasions in the middle of match, pitch invasions in the and after match. 
the vampire kid like what's the deal there was he making a statement about the owners of the club sucking the blood from the club like like a vampire would or had he just come from like a kid's party <laughs> no, that morning like <laughs> because he I also, hope it's the second he also <laughs> has goalie gloves on yeah like he's yeah. wearing yeah. goalie gloves yeah. 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 vampire keeper wearing... yeah very good across this lovely bit of business <laughs> It was wrong, actually. Wouldn't be good at crosses. That's really disappointing. I'm really disappointing myself. What's good about vampire kid is he's so serious and he's got such a, the weight of the world on his shoulders. But he's dressed as a vampire. <laughs> well, he, he's a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> Seen this over and over again. <laughs> it's God. always happens. It's like Newton Heath in 1904. <laughs> <laughs> so then it starts, and they they say about how bad they're doing. Snickers baseball cap. Then we meet this guy called Mark Weaver. So at this point, I was really confused because I couldn't really work out who the manager was. But Mark Weaver comes in, and yeah, he's, he's essentially like... the right hand man of Ken Richardson. So Ken Richardson's not coming to the games, but Mark Weaver is the guy there. But also, like, so this Ken Richardson's obviously doing a bad job of things. But Mark yeah. Weaver is fronting up in spectacular yeah, fashion. What is in it for Weaver? Mark Weaver's like the human story of this film, I think, because yeah. there's a real tragic air about this guy, like the real villain's behind the scenes, but here he is. And <laughs> he, I think he's the team, is he the team manager as well? He's general manager. Well, it's like general man so there's a manager we'll come to, yeah. like the ma coach manager guy. Yeah. But then he seems to like be in the dressing room and giving team talks. I don't really know what's in it for him. Well, I, 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 again, I've done a bit of research oh, yeah. about this guy. So the background is, Mark Weaver, I think, is he's the fifth manager that season already. Wow. And he's got the general manager title for reasons that will become clear oh, so in a So he's a football man? Well, he's, he's, he's not. <laughs> but he's ended up as a manager slash general manager of that club, basically as a puppet for Richardson. He's his yes man and he's the yeah. sort of front of house guy. So they begin with Kerry Dixon. At the start of the season, Kerry Dixon was in charge um, and he'd been there for a year prior to that, but he left after three games because of uh, Richardson's influence in team selection. Richardson himself then takes charge of the team. They loved that in the 90s. Yeah. Chairman loved... Yeah. I remember um, Ron Nodes did it at Brentford and that guy, uh, uh, Carlisle, who'd seen the aliens, yeah. Michael Knight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They loved taking over the team selection. Yeah, he did. He, he he would even be on the bench during the matches. He lost the first two games. Richardson. Yeah, Richardson. The, apparently the crowd turned against him. So, yeah. he, so he obviously left, didn't come back, and is never seen again, basically. So then Dave Cowling, who was the youth team manager, takes charge. He lasts less than a month because Richardson yeah. keeps interfering in team selection. They then appoint Colin Richardson, no relation, who... Uh, his big move is to bring up some uh, some experience for the defence. So he signs 37-year-old defender Andy Thorpe. He's experienced. Yeah. <laughs> the, the problem is Andy Thorpe hasn't played at football league level in over five years. <laughs> and he doesn't even finish three matches before he returns to the Unibon League. <laughs> Colin Richardson promptly leaves. This is mental. So then Danny Bagara takes over. Danny As, Begara feels like the hero of the piece. Yeah, I mean he's he's the best guy in it. But he 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 becomes manager, then quits because of the abuse, then returns as coach basically oh, to right. the club. That's, but then after he quits, that's when our our main man Mark Weaver is appointed. So right. who is Mark Weaver? So Mark Weaver, here's a little bit of a biography on Mark Weaver. One of my favourite things that Mark Weaver does early on. Yeah. is when he says they've sent death threats to me home yeah. in Manchester and he's like don't describe where you live <laughs> <laughs> that's rule one mate when you're getting death threats <laughs> right through my door is 17 Cherry Tree Road <laughs> 
So basically, so eventually they point Weaver. <laughs> maybe that's his. Um, maybe that's his double bluff. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't. Oh, they don't come and kill me at my home in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually they appoint Weaver, uh, who prior to this, his job was the club lottery salesman at Stockport. Wow. So he wasn't even a coach at any level. And just before he was made manager of uh, Doncaster, he was the club shop manager at That's Doncaster, wow. who is promoted to general manager. So he's basically, he's a puppet for this wow. guy. So he comes into it. He's deeply unpopular with the Doncaster fans for yep. obvious reasons. Do you like him in any way? I mean, it's hard... It's hard not to feel sorry for him. Like, the way it opens and all the vitriol going right at him and he just has to wear it. Yeah. This is Mark Weaver, general manager of the worst professional football club in the country. I swore at the start of the season I'd carry on and do it. And, and I've carried on and done it. I'm not, I won't be forced out by people. It's hard not to feel sorry for someone in that case, but you can tell, obviously, he's up to no good. Earlier that season, he was in charge of signing some of the players, and he signed a goalkeeper called Dave Smith, whose previous club side was Stockport Sunday League side Bramall. Um, but Dave Smith was the next-door neighbour of Weaver. Uh, in Manchester? Yeah, he uh, was substituted... He was substituted at half-time in his only professional appearance. Would you do it if your if your neighbour was the general manager of Doncaster and they said, do you want to play in goal, would you do it? Absolutely not. Would you not? No. That, what a story! Give it a, few, give it a few games just to see yeah. how it goes. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to be embarrassed. I don't like going goal for five minutes at five aside. <laughs> oh, so if he played your outfield, he'd be up for it? Oh, yeah, of course. Put me right back. <laughs> Uh, so Danny Bagara gets introduced. He's so he's the manager. He, he like like Michael said, he resigned. Three weeks later, he comes back. He describes it as by far the worst job I've ever had. And he says, "I'm a Uruguay youth international, and that means I've got more experience than anyone else." And then he says, "I'm one of the best managers in the country." In the country, yeah. He's a great character. He's he's great, isn't he? He's he looks a bit like um, Mel B on Bo Selector. You know, like he's got. <laughs> He has, hasn't he? Like he's got that kind and of talks the like stab face. His accent's incredible. It's all yeah. over the place. His accent's it? all over. You the think place. you've got a handle on it, and then it goes yeah. somewhere else. Ooh, can it, can it, can it, can it. The man officially in charge of football at the club is former Uruguayan youth international Danny Bagara. I believe, and I honestly believe that that I am one. Um, one of the best coaches in this country and part of the world anyway. I've been around the world. I've got more experience than anybody else. My other favourite affectation of his, he's smoking a pipe on the bench. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's 1998. Yeah. No one's done that in the football he's league since game. the 30s. Well, yeah. He's not just smoking it. He's doing that thing pipe people do where they tap the tobacco, yeah, yeah. like loading it in. It's it's so perfect. One of the first times you see him, he like bellows offside, but then goes straight to his pipe. <laughs> <laughs> like he's immediately lost interest in the game. It's offside. Oh, yes, I'll just get the pipe back in. When he, oh, like, so good. When he's first introed, he has a line himself where he says, uh, in July 1988, I became the first foreign manager in the history of English football. Yeah. And I was like, well, that can't be true. So Is it true? I looked into it. He's out by about 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, mate? 
Can yeah, we talk? His his big tactical play in this. Oh, this uh, is yeah. the best. Is that he swaps around the numbers of his own team, but then gets so, so completely he, confused. Just to explain why he swaps around the number. It's to confuse the opposition. Yeah, yeah. But what the documentary does amazingly is that you think that that's it, and then ten minutes later, there's a corner. His, his team's defending yeah. a corner. And he's confused about who's He's up off the bench right. screaming, no, number four, number <laughs> four. And then we have to take him on side and say, no, you've swapped the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and he's foxed himself <laughs> with his own genius it, plan. It, you've got to play the clip because he try, he tries to excuse it and go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know <laughs> that. Uh, no, he's got it wrong. He it's tried like, to style it he out. He backpedals yeah. and it doesn't work. You've got Unfortunately, Danny's plan to switch the numbers has backfired. The only person it's confused is Danny himself. Well, it should be Hilton on this post and... and uh, um, Betsy. So he should be Betsy in the other one. Yeah, but you've done it on the numbers and the numbers have changed. That's what happens when you change the numbers. Haven't you? You've done it on the numbers. I told him. No, but I told him. His, his other tactic, or when it comes to motivation, he has yeah. one quote, and that's Churchill saying, never give up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna, no. it's not, I'm not sure that's a full-on Churchill quote. No. <laughs> no. I, I looked into Churchill's quotes. He doesn't say that ever. Yeah, he's, he's, he's he's the, it's not one that rings of me. One of the greatest <laughs> leaders ever made in your country. Winston Churchill said the immortal words, never give up. You go, hang on, I was expecting more than yeah. that. Yeah. That's just not. Um, it's just a phrase. Just, it's just yeah. some words. It's not a quote. Well, speaking of never give up, Lee Warren utters this amazing quote. Oh my god! We're not dead, but in football terms, we're dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Like the manager says, we're not, we're dead, not dead. We're still alive. Although in football terms, yeah, we are. <laughs> so then we get we get introduced to another big character in this documentary, the bingo caller. And we cut to him, and uh, he's talking. He's, I think he's announcing the team, and he's like, he's like, number eleven. This lad has had permission off his headmasters to play today. Yeah. Oh, and then it pause, and Yuri Geller is here. <laughs> yeah. right. and, well, and, and also before that, he, he goes, um, he goes, number nine's got permission from a headmaster, and also number 11's out from a stint in jail. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good way to call the teams. He says Yuri Geller's here, and he's bent my pen. <laughs> It's never a day off, Yuri. Basically, this guy's come in and asset strip the club, and they say it's basically the youth team. They've got one professional left. Yeah. Which, when you see them training, the youth team have to train because oh, they're not this, allowed to train on the pitch. This, this is, is incredible. They have to train in the stands. In well, the stands. in the stands. But the so you see them like knocking the ball up the, yeah. and down the steps. But the first, like the opening shot of that before the voiceover comes in. I thought, you know when you kick a ball like you're playing football somewhere and you kick it over a fence and yeah. it ends up in like an industrial wasteland? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's what they've done. They've just filmed them. And then they and kick they, it and the camera swings around and it, this is the stadium. It's falling apart. They're like hoofing it up to their team out at the top of the yeah. stadium. <laughs> and then he's hoofing it back down. It's yeah. insane. Completely unsupervised. It's madness. Surely you can find somewhere that's not... Steps. Well, here's like the thing. concrete steps. Yeah. Here's the thing. It says the first team are training in a local park. Yeah. Why can't they take the youth team with them? 
like <laughs> it's a park <laughs> like, and then they could just go over there literally <laughs> the, the next fun. line of voiceover with the first team in the park is like oh and there aren't enough players for him to run any like tactical formations yeah. it's like you've left eight guys kicking a ball around <laughs> the stadium I think um, I think I'm right in saying if you listen to the sound of that clip they've still got their studs on <laughs> so it's like fucking yeah. it's like that's perilous <laughs> <laughs> the youth team have to train by themselves in the stands to save wear and tear on the pitch. While the first team train with Danny in the local park without lines or goalposts. Danny wants to work on pattern, but he doesn't have a full squad. Since the club stopped paying expenses, training is voluntary. And there aren't many volunteers today. Can I ask a question about why Yuri Geller's there? Yeah. Okay. Because he's, a, he's it's at the Swansea game, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. but Yuri Geller's... Reading and Exeter. He's Reading, right? Reading and Exeter. So why yeah. is he at Swansea Doncaster? It's, I mean, it's completely unanswered. My theory is... The, you know this this chairman's a bit dodgy it seems like this Mark Weaver character's dodgy I imagine Yuri Geller knows some dodgy people he <laughs> finds out there's a documentary crew down there like uh, fly to shit yeah. but he is down there well yeah but here's the thing when you look at the <clears throat> clip of Yuri Geller when he sees the camera arrive, he ducks out. Yeah. Oh, does he? So what's he up to? He don't, he don't, yeah. <laughs> I thought that. He does. For someone who's normally so fame hungry, the moment he sees the camera, like he's, he's yeah, gone. Yeah, he's just he's failed to bend there. a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> if you're the Doncaster manager and you find out Uri Geller's there, do you go, come on, come in, in the dressing room, say hello? Yeah, I don't know. Just, like try and give them powers. Oh, he's had a tough two years. Two years prior to that, he was at Euro 96. In a helicopter. England in Scotland. In a helicopter. Now he's at Doncaster. Now he's scrubbing round for any game he can get. <laughs> I think he just calls round on a Saturday morning. Maybe he's can I pop down today? Grounds? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 109 grounds. Yeah. I'm 109. <laughs> um, so we're half-time in the first game. It's kind of narrative the documentary is that you want to see that they don't have the worst record ever. Yeah, they've got they, two games. The two games that they can't. Yeah, yeah. the two games. His half-time team talk when they're drawing is, at least don't lose it. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, at least don't lose. <laughs> we can win, or at least yeah. don't lose. There's a great line he has before that where he says, uh, show me how much you want your families. <laughs> As if, like, someone's kidnapped their families and if they don't play well. They're not, like a bad episode of the Hurricanes, you know. <laughs> Uri Geller's just bent them all. You want to hurt back? That's why Uri Geller's there. <laughs> <laughs> If you, want, if you want straight cutlery all their cutlery is being held hostage this is one for do I remember this right but do you remember he did this thing where he went on TV and said put your broken clocks on top of the TV and I'll, I'll make them work them. my family did that and it, it started working again no he did this broken Come clock on. I'm telling you yeah. I'm telling you he uh, yeah. did this thing on TV I he don't did. know how it worked and we used to put the clock back on the TV and it never worked again I don't understand yeah wow. and, and when you think people but someone, a listener will remember that Hello, yeah no I remember Kevin. that I remember com. that I don't but I, oh, right. I don't remember your clock <laughs> <laughs> you get your family to, to contact you <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you've actually lost front touch with your family. They listen to the podcast. If you're listening. <laughs> Just a call every now and again. Do I remember this right? Sister, did you forget my birthday two years ago? Quinkkevin.com. Get, get, get in touch. <laughs> he's a fascinating character here. It's know? odd. It's odd that he's just there. And he's it's odd that he's just there. And he was mates with Michael Jackson. How You've got weird. to remember that Yuri Geller once turned up at St. James's Park, Exeter City, which on a non-match day with David Blaine and Michael Jackson. What? David Blaine, Yuri Geller, found the turn of the century, turned up at St. James's Park because his son, Daniel Geller, was a big fan of Exeter because he's had a dream about them. What? So, he's, you know, Yuri Geller was Reading. Yeah. His son supported Exeter and it's something like he had a dream about Exeter City or they'd done some kind of seance or whatever he chose in Exeter City. <laughs> so Yuri Geller became a bit entwined with Exeter City. And this climaxed one day, it's classic, do you remember this right, with a small gathering at St. James's Park where Yuri Geller brought Michael Jackson and David Blaine. They didn't even open a stand or something. They just kind of... He was just, just like, there they are. It was so weird. Ex- I remember Ex- seeing it on the local news. Did this happen? <laughs> Exit is weird, because it's not like, oh, you're in the West End of London, swing by yes, Sanford Bridge. Yeah. Ex- We're going to Exeter. Get to Exeter. He <laughs> can't swing by. Sorry, we digress. Yeah. You're in Geller fascinating. Um, we then get Mark Weaver, right? So that first game's so a draw. The first game's a draw, which is nil-nil. Which is good considering their season. It's a really sad sight, that full-time whistle, because it's nil-nil, it finishes, and Weaver celebrates like he's won the league, and all you hear is a resounding cry of, what a load of rubbish from the stands, <laughs> and booze. It's such a tragic image. Like That's the documentary in that yeah, moment. There. Yeah. It's like, yes, nil-nil. And we go, what a load of rubbish. It's like, eh, like pumping. <laughs> so Weaver knows he's leaving. What's in it for him at this point? Does he think he's going to get another job or does he... Well, he sort of makes a joke about not getting another yeah. job afterwards. I, I suspect he's being handsomely compensated by the owner just to be the front man, just to be the guy yeah. that goes out there and takes all the crap. You know, everyone else yeah. is getting sacked around him. Everyone's getting laid off, but he's the one guy that knows that my job is safe, basically. One of the things he says about Richardson is when he arrived, he immediately appointed his niece and his daughter to the board uh, and yes. insisted everyone call him the benefactor. <laughs> <laughs> which which uh, made me immediately think of Paul Ince, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he tip on his boots. <laughs> no, no, call me the benefactor. Oh, benefactor. God, this isn't going to go well. If your chairman's insisting that you refer to him as the benefactor. Oh. So they draw the first game. And then after the first game, we get... Mark Weaver says um, the best quote of the documentary, which is, next week it's our final game in the league and it's going to hit the fans the hardest, which is why I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is a brilliant line from the manager. So bad. And it, I don't know if we said this, but what they're playing, they're playing to try and avoid being the having the worst ever season in football. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're trying to yeah. do, isn't it? Oh and God! So then we get a bit more backstory between the matches. There's just a bit where Mark Weaver's outside the ground. He's, he's talking about the, there's a big tile tile depot like sponsorship on the back of the stand, and he yeah. says people come down to the ground to the stand thinking it's a tile depot because of the sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, where's, where's the tile depot? There's a bit where he's kind of giving a tour of how bad the ground is. It's dilapidated. It's heartbreaking. But one point, it's in a kind of Brent move. He just opens the door and he goes door <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think he's trying to be optimistic there because he goes like 
There's a sign that says "Welcome to Jackass Revenue, guys. We got the sign. We kept that. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's one of the best things we kept. Yeah. And then he opens the door and goes, "And doors? <laughs> doors. <laughs> like, doors? Like holding onto the doors is a plus." <laughs> but is God. he trying to sell that it's going well? Like, what's he trying to sell? Well, I suppose then it comes to the fact that they are trying to sell the club. Yeah, to Anton Johnson. We, I think the first time we see him, is he out trying to buy a Porsche? No, we see him briefly before that. In he's a, what looks he's like. described as, and this puts shivers through your spine if, if they're trying to buy a football club, Essex nightclub owner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the exact voiceover line is, uh, could the Rovers white knight be Anton Johnson? Essex nightclub supremo. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a slow mo yeah. shot of him wearing uh, sort of Kanye West style sunglasses. Yeah, yeah like the pimp furs as well. I mean, you cigar. Would, if that guy came in to take over your football club, you would be yeah. ter- you'd be like, we're bankrupt in a year. But like, the people and then, want him because yeah. he's the he is their only option. But I think that's that sort of damning indictment of the state of the club is that that guy that guy might be your saviour yeah like, that's how bad we then see um, <laughs> they, they say he's a self-confessed football addict and then the first time you see him he's addressing the, the, the consortiums to try and convince the fans that he wants to own it and he says I love football last week and he says I watched two under 18 games and the first time I thought I thought he said 218 and I thought <laughs> fair play fair play that is a football addict and I was thinking how's he watched 218 games so I remained it 218 games that awesome banger with all the feeds <laughs> 218 bloody hell that's good going watched it on times 30 on his skybox <laughs> Yeah, he's a dodgy boy. That's the sad thing is watching this equally dodgy guy because yeah, yeah. you follow him to buy a Porsche yeah. and it's yeah, like, oh no. A in a place you would ne- never see someone buy a Porsche normally. It looks like kind of car park like a yeah. dogging car park but it yeah. looks like, like remember Frank Butcher's car park in EastEnders oh, yeah. like, like he's car yeah. silly it's clearly missing bunting <laughs> it's kind of heartbreaking how they cut away because it's like this guy's going to save the club and then you see him just in a car park looking up and he goes I'm worried about the size and the leg room and I thought oh he's going to revamp the stadium it's really good and then he cuts to the Porsche he's looking at and it's like oh shit and then he gets in the Porsche and mistakenly sets off the burglar yeah he struggles to get into the Porsche and his assistant's just watching him going he's not a practical man it's like oh god that's how big this documentary is like he's the hope and it's like oh god he can't get into a Porsche there's an interesting bit where they like they meet obviously like Doncaster fans and Anton Johnson's putting his case forward and Mark Weaver's defending and the kind of like the compare goes, give Mark Weaver a chance. He's come here, you know. He's gonna be, he's gonna give it a go. He's gonna answer your questions. And people give a respectful amount yeah. of a bit of applause. And Mark Weaver gets up and goes, grabs him out. Right, listen here. It's like yeah. fully cantankerous, not to one hundred. The atmosphere's gone. Yeah. He's his own worst enemy. That point. He ditches the mic, doesn't he? He starts <laughs> calmly. He like goes, thanks for that. And he's talking to the mic quietly. Thanks for that. No, no. Okay, I'm here to talk. I don't need the mic. You've got to pay. So it's like, no, 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 no. And immediately it starts kicking off. You can laugh now because Doncaster in League One. Yeah. If Doncaster had gone out of business, you'd just be like, this is such a... It's such a bleak thing to happen to a football it's club. It's criminal, yeah. It's the worst. One of the... like That's why Danny Bagheera comes across as such a hero. He's like, that, there's that one part where he says, I'm, mani- I'm managing the youth team. The first team, I'm driving the coach. And it's like he is literally keeping them going. Yeah. And there's Ken, the groundsman, and it's like, oh, "Oh, Ken's mower's broke. And it's like, it just keeps coming. It's just mower breaks. And then something, the mower breaks. And then the next thing is, 
one of the doors break and the youth team have got locked in the dressing room. <laughs> and you can hear the youth team from behind the door going, someone fetch a screwdriver. And the narrator goes, they've lost all the stuff. <laughs> it's like, like, like the screw, where's the screwdriver going to come from? Yuri Geller's probably bent it. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth saying That's about- That's got locked in. It's worth saying about the youth team as well, that they all look about 40. Like, I couldn't believe how I, this is the oldest youth team I've ever seen. I'm like, that can't be the youth team. Yeah, and the, the interviewer is female. And it reminds me, have you ever seen the making of The Shining where uh, Stanley Kubrick's daughter's oh, yeah. going round filming the cast? And it's just basically, you're just watching Jack Nicholson flirt with Stanley Kubrick's 17-year-old daughter. So he's constantly just over the top of the camera being like, hello. And the, the youth team are like that where they're like, we're great, we are. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but are you sure? Yeah, oh yeah, we've beaten the rest, we are. And it's just these like wannabe lads just trying to get their leg over. That's what it is. You can see it. Is it bad that it there's so many funny bits in it? Well, I think my funniest bit I enjoyed the most was learning about how Ken Richardson made his money. Did you catch this? No. He made his money running a sack factory. <laughs> When I um when I was looking into Ken Richardson on Wikipedia, the detectives in the arson trial said in court, he's the type that would trample a two year old child to pick up a two P bit. <laughs> that's in that's in court on record. Yeah. Oh he's, he's such a wrong Then what happens is you see this meeting that the people have about what they're going to do for the final game. And it's this big debate. Well, there's they're a like, we should do something big. Yeah. Because this is our last game in the, as one of the 109 teams in the Football League. <laughs> and so... Well, well there's, a, there's a weird logic, isn't there, where they say, we should try and stop the game yeah. by sitting on the... And then someone says, uh, if the last game isn't played, we can say we weren't kicked out the league. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not... Imagine... <laughs> Imagine if that's how you could avoid relegation. <laughs> the amount of times they'd have tried that at Birmingham City. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it is hard. I mean, like, that's the heartbreaking yeah. thing. What would man. you have done? We've had bad chairman at Plymouth. Well, in the 90s, we had the guy called Dan McCauley, but it's not the same. It's just someone who's not really investing in the team. Yeah. And who's a bit of an egomaniac and just sack Neil Warnock when he probably shouldn't have. But it's a different thing. And like you feel so powerless yeah. when there's bad owners. Well, there's such a range of emotions in that room in that last meeting where you've got people who are like, no, let's go down swinging. Yeah. We're, we're, we're dead. But if we can stop another club going through this fate, then that's a noble thing to do. Yeah. You've got other people who just want to cause trouble. And then other people who are just so defeated. It's yeah. like it's depressing. Because yeah. like the one thing you get from this documentary is that and I, I sort of never experienced this because I didn't grow up in a town where the football club was so a part of the DNA of that town or city, but like it means so much to them. There's a guy who yeah. sort of looks teary-eyed when he's talking about the memory of the ground is like his dad taking him there and his dad's no longer with them. Like it's not it's not just a football team to a lot of these people. Yeah. To, to, to see this club destroyed in this way, it really sort of cuts to the core of them. Yeah, yeah that's where it, for all the, you kind of think, oh yeah, that's funny, that's interesting. But then when the emotional it yeah. comes but like by the time they were playing the last post on the pitch you like go fucking hell like it really yeah. gets you because this is this is their well, life it used to keep happening the night there's a bit where what's it called Weaver is going the Premier League they don't care about 
that it's nothing to do with the Premier League. No. Yeah. Well, I you're think absolutely Your chairman tried to burn yeah. the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the film does try to make a sort of statement about that, you yeah, know, the I've new Premier that. League riches, but it felt very, very forced. I don't feel like this is a result of the Premier League no, riches no, no, in no. any way. This, this, this is, I think, the filmmakers trying to weave like a bigger perspective into it. Yeah. Well, they only not. had footage of Burkham's <laughs> 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 goal. And Arsenal and Doncaster both play in red. So, oh, no. Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah. Some of Arsenal players will be going to the World Cup. Yeah. Doncaster Rovers players will be watching it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what what so point are you trying to make, Channel else? 5? What, what point are you trying to make? I'd rather be watching it. Yes. And then, controversially, the, so they plan, a, they plan a mock funeral. Yeah. This, and I think like that, when you say, what would you do? Like, when those protests, I'm trying to think of the type of protests I'm a fan of, are like, you know when they say, we'll walk out at a certain time? Yeah. Or something like that. Or sometimes they say, we'll stay away and we'll only arrive in the ground after about 15 minutes. Yeah, but, do you like those ones? Well, well, it's hard to know what to do to make a statement. but like Because it affects the game. You've got to remember the players in a weird way. Yeah. Or do you if you're already down by 16 points? But this is bigger. This, this is fans yeah. fighting for their club, isn't yeah. it? Is it at half-time or is it at the end of the game? I think it's at half-time where the policeman comes in and goes like, right, that's no, end of the game. End of the game. He comes in and is like, it's up to you. Do you want to go back out there and see them? I'd be like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, why would you do it? I'm about to get sacked tomorrow. Like, we've gone down with the worst record in the history of the Football League ever. This is not, you know, it's not Brian Clough leaving. It's like, no way am I doing that. Well, the, that's what happens is there's a pitch invasion. And it's the worst. They dramatise it in the worst possible way yeah. because oh. they put it, the footage of it into slow motion yeah. and play Nessam Dorma. But not the Pavarotti version. No, they yeah. can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's Dennis Burkham singing. <laughs> It's Burkham giving it his best go. It's kind of weird. The, the other, but just on that Ness and Dormer thing, the other weird musical choice they make is there's like a re- repeated motif of this kind of quirky Latin music yeah, yeah, that I initially yeah. thought was there for Danny Bagara. Oh, and I think it is. But then, then, then they just start throwing it all over a bit. Well, I, I have a theory about that is that if you, that sounds like library music. Yeah. And you pay like per block of time. So yeah. I think they paid for, say, a minute's worth. And in that first section, they only used 40 seconds. And they thought, we've got another 20 seconds we can use here. <laughs> We're just going to stick it anywhere stick it in, in the film. When they when they sew before this game, when the fax comes through for the tactics for the last game of the season from the crooked yeah. chairman, did you have a glimpse of any of the tactics I that are on there? I read it. So there's one that just says, no quarter given. <laughs> Like, like he's a mad general in World War One. No quarter given, lads. And there's one that says talk at all times. It's like, who is this guy? It's just like the ramblings of a madman. Yeah. And faxed through. Faxed through. Um, so good. Do you reckon that there's one interview with a player where he is saying how mental it is? Oh, my God. Yeah. What about the interview with the top goal scorer, Prince Moncrief, where he's dressed as Inspector Gadget? <laughs> Do you remember that bit? Yeah. Maybe he's come from the same fancy dress party as Vampire Kid. <laughs> it's like Mufti Day. <laughs> yeah. Dressed down Friday on the final day. He's in, in the background of that shot as well is um, a player called A.D. Mike. Yeah. Do you, do you remember him? He was at Man City. Yeah, I remember being at Man City. He was, he was at the back in the first ever Merlin Premier League sticker book. We had a, a section at the back that was like rising stars. And it was like eight or ten stickers of players to like watch out for in the future. And it was like Darren E.D., like Chippy, all those guys. And I always remember A.D. Mike because it was a weird name. I was like, I wonder what ever happened to him. It's like, basically ended up as a second string striker <laughs> behind fancy dress prince it's like it's insane AD Mike 
feels like you've got the name in the wrong order. <laughs> Early on in his career, there's been a mix up and got the name in the wrong order. And it stuck because it was on his like, maybe his birth certificate, they got the names the wrong way around. <laughs> And then it kind of just finishes. Yeah. <laughs> I, because I, I was watching it on YouTube, I looked and I was like, there's a minute left. Yeah. A, a minute left. There's still so much to happen. It just stops. It doesn't give you, and like you think he's going to be the wrap up and all that kind of stuff. It's like, nah, that's it. Yeah. You know, like yeah. The, the, the end credit where they kind of like explain what happened after. It, it just kind of goes, yeah, they went down. I mean, we worked that out. Yeah. It's a weird ending, isn't it? Yeah. In a weird way, you go, they've only been two games, and normally documentaries like that would cover loads of games. Yeah. There's only been two games, and they've totally managed to miss any backstory, any of the interesting backstory. Yeah. So we don't really know what filled the time. <laughs> but it was interesting. <laughs> it was, it flew by. The kid in the vampire outfit yeah. was gripping yeah, stuff. that's right. Well, we, we should probably fill in some of what yeah. happened. So Richardson, four years later, was eventually sentenced to three years in prison so that he did get his comeuppance. Uh, our friend Anton Johnson, the guy who was going to buy yeah. the club, and then there's a yeah. scene in the car where he's listing all of these potential clubs that he's going to buy. You know, he's gone to Scotland and looked at... Oh, yeah, he's was. driving up to Scotland, Motherwell isn't he? and yeah. things like that. He doesn't take the Porsche to Scotland, though, does he? No. He's got a lot more legroom in the Charlotte <laughs> in Scotland. He's hired a van. So he basically, he ends up buying Scarborough. Who, uh, and they finished sixth in that same league this season when Doncaster yeah. go down. Uh, the following year, under his ownership, they were relegated from the league. And in less than 10 years, they were wound up with massive Whoa. debts. And they basically don't exist anymore. What? So God, Scarborough, have been, Scarborough FC are out of business. What the was new it? Scarborough have risen from the groups. flames. Because what was of, in it for God. these people? Well, you, you assume the club and the land has a value that they can then asset strip. Well, that's what they see. Yeah, that's what they say in this documentary. So it's like the they... grounds, the grounds value is yeah. worth. It was like he said something like 17 million. Yeah. Um, I think we should end on a positive note because obviously Doncaster, uh, Doncaster came back from this less than 10 years later in 2008. They were at Wembley getting promoted to the second tier of uh, English football. Yeah. They've done, they're a good team, Doncaster. Well, yeah, Darren Ferguson's their manager now. So yeah, they're, they're on the up. It is amazing because you do think how could a t- club turn around from this? Yeah. Do you think Doncaster Rovers fans look back on this and laugh now? I'd love to know. Yeah. Um, there's that final clip where Mark says, Mark Weaver says, uh, this is going to happen loads. You'll see that. And then he says, it's funny because, you know, you'll say to yourselves, this is funny because Mark told us all about that two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a phrase that's going to catch on. Yeah. This is funny because Mark told us all about that. And he really just as Mark. It's what really happened yeah. What happened to Mark Weaver? Do we know? I've I've not found. Yeah, I couldn't find anything about him. So well, let's get on LinkedIn He's, and endorse him yeah. for the general management <laughs> of football. I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. The hero for me was uh, Bagara. Yeah, I, I really really Bagara. loved him. And when it started, I don't know about you guys, but I, I thought he was a buffoon. I thought, who who the hell is this guy? Yeah. yeah. Again, looked into his career. He apparently. He was England under 18s and under 20s coach at one point, and he won the Youth World Cup with wow. with England. And at one point, he was um, David Pleat's assistant manager at Sheffield Wednesday. David Pleat tells a story about him. So Pleat rang him up to ask about a player that he was scouting, who uh, who was rumoured to have a bit of a temper. And Pleat said to him, "They say he can be a bit volatile. Is that right, Danny?" And Danny replies, "Bloody right, Pleaty. He can play left back, central defence, and in midfield." <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Great.
Um, it is a great documentary. It's, yeah. I'd watch it if if you hadn't seen it, do watch it. Yeah. In a way, I hope this isn't disrespectful to Doncaster because it is an awful time. But it's really funny at points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they come through it. That's the great. That's the yeah. They come through it. Tom Barry. Thanks for having me back, gents. Just remember what, what Churchill said. Never give up. Never give up. That was Tom Parry discussing Doncaster Rovers, uh, misfortunes and subsequent fortunes. Wonderful watch that. I wonder what Yuri Geller's doing now. I found it astonishing that Yuri Geller just turned up and announced <laughs> them. When I've become kind of obsessed with him. We didn't know if it's true. I've Googled it. Article by the excellent Scott Murray, who is an excellent journalist who wrote a book on the history of the Football League that uh, you should buy, perhaps because uh, there's a quote from myself on the cover. <laughs> So this is called The Day Michael Jackson, Yuri Geller and David Blaine Pitched Up at Exeter City FC As travelling circus troops go The motley collective that pulled into Exeter Railway Station They got the train <laughs> They got the train That can't, well, obviously it's true but got, Pulled up into Exeter Railway Station On the 14th of June 2002 During the World Cup Takes some beating Been assembled by notorious cutlery bothering psychic Yuri Geller and then co-chairman Oh, he was then the co-chairman of Exeter City at that point. I don't remember that happening. Ah. Boasted some stellar names. The hungry box-dwelling pole balancer, David Blaine. The soul diva, Patty Boulay. And at the top of the bill, the world-famous Michael Jackson, the king of pop. They were to star an event that Geller was staging to raise money for cash-strapped City. Jacko agreed to help out his friend on the condition that the Exeter chairman brought along some to, quote, sick kids from hospitals and gave half of the money to, quote, children with AIDS. Geller shook on it and so, after Boulay belted out a gospel number, Jackson took to a pitch-side stage at City's dilapidated St James's Park ground. This is mad. Hello to you wonderful people of Exeter, he began. So timidly, it would make his faltering oratory in the Martin Bashir interviews sound like Nixon taking on Frost. We come here to support children with AIDS, he went on. (laughs) and help the people of Africa find a solution against the spread of HIV. Then, with the unimpeachable logic of a man who had just vowed to stamp out a pandemic, he threw in the afterthought with good measure, and malaria. (laughs) (laughs) With a 10,000-strong crowd cheering him on, Jackson delivered his pièce de résistance, ordering everyone in the ground to hold each other's hands. He simpered, I mean it. Right now, go ahead. Don't be shy. Do it. Do it. Now, tell the person next to you that you care for them. Tell them you love them. That is what makes the difference. Together we can change the world. Together we can help stop racism. Together we can help stop prejudice. We can help the world live without fear. It's our only hope. Without hope we are lost. I see Israel. I see Spain. What? The World Cup was on at the time, wasn't it? But I don't think... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was at this point that someone asked Jackson whether England would give Denmark a right old chewing in the second round of the World Cup and the following day England is going to win yeah said a giggling Jacko <laughs> and of course he was right England ran out 3-0 winner which means that with a 100% success rate Michael Jackson was and is likely to be the greatest football pundit the world has ever known <laughs> lovely isn't that an amazing article that's crazy what an event would you have gone to that if I lived anywhere near I think I'd have popped down yeah 
I kind of regret not going now. What did Urigella say to him to get him down there? They were mates, weren't they? It's such a weird oh, event. Amazing. If you were at that and you've got any more information, hello at quicklykevin.com or any other Yuri Geller, not even football related stories, any dealings with Yuri Geller. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Right, time for Review Haiku. Okay, so here's the rules. You leave a review haiku on iTunes. I read out two. Michael picks his favourite. If you win, you get a Graham Says Hitler's mug. It's review haiku. 90s football review haiku. Review haiku. Let's have our first one. This one is from Oang W. He says, DJ Pat Nevin at the Indie Discotheque. Lasso eats goulash. That's a great one, isn't it? Strong work. Really yeah. strong. Or how about this from James Nicholson? Mabbot loves his dog. Can I get a picture, Gaz? Not you, of the dog. <laughs> oh, yes. That's great. Two very that strong ones. Oh, I think by a nose, it is the second one, the Mabbot yeah, one. Please. Nose. Yeah. James Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, Graham says Hitler's mug is all yours. So, that leaves. Just one last head-to-head quiz of the series. Michael. Okay, so here's how it works. Each week, Josh and Chris go head-to-head in the 90s football quiz to choose which song gets to play out at the end of the show. I think I'm head in the head-to-head score going to the final. You are indeed. However, in a classic 90s tradition, we are going to revert to a golden goal, winner-takes-all scenario. Uh, yes. Lovely, lovely. Yes. Okay. Just to ramp up the fake really jeopardy. Really unfair, but I do, you know, I do understand theatre. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a return of arguably the best quiz we've done. The old favourite starting 11. Oh, my dad texted me to say how much he enjoyed it. So here's how it works. I will pick a match from the 90s and Josh and Chris will take it in turns to name a player who played in that match. If the player was a sub and came on, they must pick again. If they were an unused sub, they lose. It's a sudden death situation. Okay, so the match for the victory is Brazil versus Scotland, 10th of June 1998 at the World Cup. Brazil 1-2-1, opening game. Josh, you're to pick first. I think there was an own goal by Tommy Boyd. Correct. Andy Gorham. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> no way! Jim Layton, mate. It was Jim Scott. Layton. What? Absolute disaster. Did Jim Layton have Vaseline on his eyebrows? Yeah, too late for that, mate. <laughs> what an anticlimax. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Well, there Could we have had, I was going to go through the whole Scotland team. I was so confident. So Josh wins the golden goal and wins overall. What song would you like to play out the show, please? Got to be, isn't it? Got to be. WYSIWYG. <laughs> <laughs> 
Next week marks the end of our third series and it is, of course, the traditional end of series quiz. We'll be back a little later this summer for some World Cup specials, though, so hang around for that. And don't forget to sign up on our mailing list at quicklykevin.com for all the latest information from Quickly Kevin Towers. Robbie Slater, see you later. Son of a bitch, stole my line. <laughs> yeah, no. Les, demand it! Tell him, Les! That's what you tell him! The crap can't see you! I didn't let them know! This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.